Welcome back to Navigating Law School Admissions with Miriam and Christy. I'm Christy Jobson, the Dean of Admissions at Harvard Law School. And as always, we have Miriam Ingber, the Dean of Admissions and Financial Aid at Yale Law School. Happy fifth episode, Miriam. Happy fifth episode, Christy. I can't believe it. We kind of made a podcast. From a twinkle in our eyes back in May to five full episodes. That's right. Five done and two to come. So today's episode, we'll talk about the so-called softs, essentially everything in your application that is not your GPA or your LSAT or another test score. Spoiler alert, the softs Mm -hmm. are really, really important. That's right. They're not so soft at all. As you've no doubt noticed by now over the course of this podcast, we start each episode with a game. We're calling this one soft or not soft. And for reference, there's this category referred to as softs, and you'd think the opposite would exist, but no, we are sticking with not soft. First one, I will start you out with a softball. Undergraduate, oh, I know, a little cheesy, but I couldn't help it. I just couldn't help it. It was, it was too, too good not to do. Undergraduate academic performance. Not a soft. Next, my softball for you, captain of a Division One varsity softball team. Oh my God, now we're getting maybe a little too much. <laughs> that is a soft. It's And it's even soft if you won an Olympic metal. All right. Soft or not soft? Winning a senior thesis award. Mm, Okay. Trickier. So the performance on this academic project is not a soft, but the award itself is a soft, I think. Not every school gives out awards for capstone projects like a senior thesis. So I try not to get too dazzled by the names of awards listed on a resume. Okay. I've got one. Valedictorian of your undergraduate college. I kind of think that's a trick question. So awards like that really depend on whether it is based on GPA or not. Sometimes valedictorian can be based completely on GPA, in which case I would say it's not a soft. It's just a GPA focused thing. But if it is not GPA based, sometimes those awards can be based on things like community involvement as well. That would be a soft in my view. All right. What about if you're from a geographic region where the school is located? Soft, and it is a soft, soft at that. Um, Nice, it's a plus, but not a showstopper. Okay, one of my favorites, shout out to the class of 2022 at Harvard Law School, Rooftop Tomato Farmer. All right, who doesn't love a rooftop tomato farmer, but that is a soft for sure. So when we released the class profile for the class of 2022 at HLS, we included Rooftop Tomato Farmer as one of our featured fun facts. And there was a hilarious Reddit post about it. Like, if you're not farming from the rooftops, there's no place for you at HLS. I loved it. That is a Reddit post that made me laugh. There are some Reddit posts that make you laugh and some that make you cry. (laughs) Yes, there are some there are some that are more fun than others. (laughs) Definitely. That's definitely the case. All right. What about something like military service? Would you view that as a soft or not a soft? And would it matter what kind of military service it is? Things like enlisted versus not enlisted, things like combat or not combat? Overall, uh, probably falls into the category of softs, but perhaps it's a super soft. Um, It feels very odd to call this a soft because service in the armed forces is such a defining experience for many applicants. And because I know both Harvard and Yale greatly value the presence of uh, service members in our communities. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. Uh, Veterans bring so much to the class and to the community as a whole because they have such different and important experiences and often a great deal of maturity and perspective. 
And I don't think it matters what kind of military service necessarily, uh, though I know that we're always looking for more enlisted veterans and at HLS, more people who served in the Coast Guard. One year, I want to get the quintifecta, someone from each of the five branches. I'm not quite there yet, but one year I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm confident <laughs> in my abilities. We have that in the current 3L class, but then after my two Coast Guard members who are 3Ls graduate, I, I like I need a Coast Guard for next year. I have someone from the Coast Guard on deferral coming in next year, so uh, maybe, maybe that'll be my year. Maybe Maybe this upcoming year is my year. Who knows? All right, let's get to today's discussion. The SOFTS, this nebulous term that refers to work and volunteer experience, extracurricular involvement, background, life story, personal qualities, your vision for your law degree, basically everything in your application that isn't your undergraduate academic performance or your standardized test scores. We will start by busting a myth, Miriam's favorite practice. I do she, love a, a myth buster. A good old myth bust. Here's the probably the biggest myth the two of us see on Reddit and other fora, this idea that your GPA and LSAT score are king and nothing else matters in your application. This is the biggest myth and it absolutely makes me crazy. I think this myth is exacerbated by the proliferation of those online calculators. You know, those ones where you put in your GPA and your LSAT and they give you some percentage chance that you're going to get admitted. And I also think it's exacerbated by the fact that it's the easiest thing that people can compare to each other. Everything else can be really, really hard to get a real contrast to. Yeah, those GPA and LSAT calculators, like you may as well just ask a magic eight ball whether you're going to get into a school. This is why you see those posts on Reddit every spring by people with high numbers who are disappointed with their admissions results. They thought they had it in the bag, but their numbers masked weaker aspects of their applications. One of my teammates has a term for this empty stats. Yeah. And I think the converse is true as well. And this is actually what makes me really sad sometimes. Lower numbers are not an automatic trip to being denied. Uh, we talk about this a lot internally. We would always rather admit someone with lower numbers who we know is going to contribute to our community rather than someone with higher numbers who is totally, and we use this word a lot, meh. In other words, these softs are more than a minor tip factor when we're looking at applicants who are similar to each other. They are really the heart of the application. As one of my colleagues always says, if the numbers were all that mattered, all of us would be out of a job. You would just replace us with computers. The numbers matter. We don't want to say they don't. Clearly they do. But lots of other things are equally important. So let's go through some of these so-called softs, and uh, maybe we'll drop that term for the remainder of the episode, because quite honestly, I've never actually heard admissions officers use it in our jobs. Miriam, you mentioned a number of different categories just now. Where do you want to begin? Uh, why don't we start with professional and extracurricular experiences? I think that's a really important mm -hmm. category. So this is really about how you chose to use your time. And I'm going to start with some overarching advice for how to get this through on your application. Show, don't tell. Build the story with your resume, your answers to specific application questions, and maybe also with your essays. Don't just state that you're a leader or a public servant or interested in a certain area. We should really understand that from the totality of your application. Good advice. If you have to tell someone you are a public servant at heart uh, and it's not obvious from the rest of your application materials, 
look back again. So digging into professional experience, let me first ask, why do admissions committees ask applicants to share their professional experiences? So the jobs that you chose, either during the summers when you're in school or possibly after college, if you have some work experience, that tells us a lot about your priorities and your interests. Of course, we understand that these choices can be constrained by things like financial uh, reasons or by family requirements, but they also tell us a lot about how you prioritize spending a significant amount of time. That's right. Your work to date provides us with a sense of your projected professional arc, as well as your readiness for law school and the legal profession. What skills have you honed? What work settings have you tried? You want the admissions committee to feel assured that you will be able to land a job in the future. Obviously, this information can be found on your resume, and both of our schools actually also have separate application questions about it. And of course, some applicants will choose to talk about their work in one of their essays or maybe even more than one of their essays. And let's just say again, as we have before, there is no one specific job or set of internships we're looking for when we look at your resume. Our classes would be super boring if every person we admitted was a paralegal or was a consultant or had been doing uh, work in a specific field. We are both looking to build a class with people in it who have a variety of professional experiences. That's what makes the classroom discussion really interesting and makes our alumni uh, a really interesting group of people. So in our first episode, we discussed extracurricular experiences and how you should engage with activities that spark your passions. And I'll say, as we did before, that extracurricular involvement is a privilege and not everyone is able to access this particular privilege. Miriam, how can applicants showcase their extracurricular involvement? So again, the resume is one place where this often comes through very strongly. At Yale, we also have a separate college activities question that we where we ask you to submit your extracurricular activities in a separate way. And that's because we're looking for some additional information. We ask people to list it in order of priority. And we ask people to say whether it was paid or unpaid and the time commitment, because we view that additional information is really important and often not found on the resume itself. We know there's going to be duplication involved there. And that's something that we expect to see, but we want that additional information as well. So this is a place where looking at the school's very specific instructions is really important. And for me, sometimes an essay or even a recommendation letter can touch on a particularly impactful area of involvement outside the classroom in college. But to get the full scope, I too head straight to the resume and the application form. Any extracurricular activities that really stick out to you when you're reviewing a file? That is such a hard question uh, because applicants, I find, do so many cool things when they're in school. I often think, wow, I was such a slacker in college. I didn't do half the things that these applicants do. And I've seen some incredibly impressive service work. That's something that really often jumps out at me. People who founded or led some really inspirational nonprofits or community-based organizations, people who've done really extensive advocacy or activist work. When that ties together with the reason that you're going to law school and the kind of law you want to practice, that's one example of something that can be really powerful. Of course, there's tons of other examples of extracurricular work uh, that can be really impressive and exciting to read about. Uh, Okay, so I'm going to admit it. I am a big sucker for student body presidents or similar major leadership roles. And I mentioned this in episode one, but I'll say it again. I really like to see sustained involvement in service work throughout college. You don't even need to be in a leadership position. In fact, I actually really like it when you see people engage in volunteer work or teach Sunday school or something consistently throughout college, even um, when there's not necessarily a lot of glory involved. 
Yeah, sometimes just doing the work is really impressive. People who just sit there and get it done, because I think the world needs people who are willing to put that in. And I totally agree with that. All right. So what don't we like? We've talked about all the fancy things, all those gold stars. But what is it that is like, oh, when you see it on on a application? Uh, the, the flip mm-hmm. of my last comment. So one semester or sometimes even just a few weeks or months of involvement in a service organization. If you didn't enjoy reading to kids after school and you quit the organization after a semester, that's fine. It really is. We all have to make choices about what we do with our time. But honestly, just leave it off your resume at that point. How about you? So I think it's totally great, as we spoke about, to be a member of some organizations. But if that's all it is where you're a member and you've spent, you know, 30 minutes to 60 minutes a week max on everything, that can be a little bit disappointing. It feels a little bit like you phoned everything in and didn't do the really the hard work to sustain the organizations that you're a member of. And that's a big part of the reason why at YLS, we ask how many hours you committed to each activity. We're trying to differentiate between deep commitments and shallow ones. It's fine. And I think totally normal to have some of both. But if every commitment is a shallow one, that really says something to us. Listeners, you might have guessed where we are headed next, writing a strong resume. My favorite. (laughs) There's a recipe and there's also an art to an impactful resume. Miriam, you were a career advisor. What is your basic advice for a strong resume? So we could have a whole podcast just on resumes. In fact, I have done a whole, uh, not just presentations on this, but presentation series on strong resumes. I'm going to try to keep it short. Feel free to cut me off if I, if I go on and on and on. So and on that very note, keep it short, please. We generally, oh, oh my God, please keep it short. Uh, we generally say up to two pages is fine. And it's the rare applicant who will need longer than that. I used to share with my students uh, when I was working at NYU Law School that after almost a decade of legal practice, my resume was about one and a half pages. I could get it down really to one in a bit if I really tried. So that gives you a sense. That was two two degrees and 10 years of work experience. So when I applied to this job as admissions dean, I submitted a one-page resume. Exactly. That's right. Mine was a page and a half when I applied for this job. So I think that gives you a sense of the concision that we're looking for. So the other thing to keep in mind is what is the purpose of a resume? So resumes are intended to allow the reader to easily and quickly find the information that they need. So keep that overarching goal in mind when you're crafting one. So what are some of the ways that you can help further that goal? Have a header on the page with your name and usually your contact information is up there too. Don't break things up into too many sections. A faculty member I've worked with at NYU used to emphasize this over and over again. It makes it really jumpy. And then the reader ends up having to go from section to section to section to try to put things back into chronological order. So every section should be in reverse chronological order and you should have only a small number of them. So most recent activities at the top with the relevant dates included as applicable. So most resumes are going to start with an education section. In that section, you can list things like key awards, activities, maybe a thesis if you have one. This can be selected, and that's going to be a theme here. You don't have to include absolutely everything in your resume unless the school is asking you to be absolutely comprehensive at YLS. And I think HLS too, that's not what we're requiring. 
After education, usually you're going to have your experience section. Experience can be both paid and unpaid. So you don't need to separate out volunteer experience. Don't call it work experience, call it experience. And that's fine. You can include very significant volunteer. Just make it clear when you include your title, maybe put volunteer in brackets so it's clear that it was unpaid or part-time volunteer to distinguish part-time from full-time work. As long as you're clear in how you describe what you did, it's fine to include all experience in a single section. Underneath the experience, you're going to describe briefly what you did with a focus on the skills that you gained. Each specific sentence should be short and start with an active verb. Researched and wrote three to five articles each week on topics including A, B, and C. Created and implemented new internship program. It's better to give specific examples uh, rather than describing lots of things in very vague terms. As a rule of thumb, two to four sentences is about right for a description. Stop there. You'd be great. Any other sections that you think are worth including, Christy, in a typical resume? So for some people, a publication section is appropriate. Um, I would not list out every article you wrote for the newspaper in college. Selected publications. publications. That section. Yep, that's right. Um, and then some resumes include an additional information section. It's, it's sometimes termed personal, it's sometimes termed interest, sometimes just additional information. But that typically includes skills, hobbies, and interests. Any thoughts on formatting? I have a lot of formatting thoughts. Oh my God, I have so many formatting thoughts. So first of all, the resume is the worst place for typos. It is the most professional of the professional documents you're including in your application. And the formatting must be consistent. I always notice when commas are italicized in one place and not in others. I just can't help it. A decade of litigating has made those things just jump out at me off the page. And I always notice when the date ranges shift between hyphens and end dashes, either one is fine, totally fine, but they must be consistent throughout. And again, none of these things are disqualifying. It's just things that we can't help but notice. So you should notice them and, and fix them. Also, there should be some white space. And that goes back to the principle of making it easy for the reader to find things. Of course, all of this depends on the school-specific instructions. So read those carefully and adjust as needed. But these are some general tips. And that gets back to one more final point. You should not have a resume. Just like cover letters, you should probably have a couple different versions of your resume that highlight different aspects of your experiences. Your resume should feature your greatest hits. Don't stress too much about including every single place you've ever worked or every activity you've ever participated in. And as Miriam mentioned earlier, both our schools ask you to list out your experiences on the application form. And I always review the listing alongside the resume. So don't feel like you have to shoehorn in every last job you've ever worked on. Totally agree. The resume should showcase your narrative, what you are choosing to highlight. Okay, how about what not to do? All right, you all know I'm basically blind as a bat. So <laughs> suffice it to say, tiny fonts and skinny margins on a re resume are not helping you with me. Please just make it normal size. Otherwise, it's really, really genuinely hard for me to read. I've noticed a rise in resumes that include a headshot and I am not into them. Yeah, not into them at all. No headshots, please. So typically resumes use black font on a white background. In the past year, though, I saw a, a solid number of resumes with two, three, or even more colors. What are your thoughts on that? Oh my God, I have such mixed feelings on this. Sometimes I see these resumes that are so fancy and cute and I'm so impressed because I have no idea how they make them. So, but another part of me is really old fashioned and I want, you know, an old fashioned, very professional lawyer looking resume. So 
At the end of the day, lawyers tend to be small c conservative about things like this. So I think it's probably better to lean towards a very old school looking resume. But I don't know. Once in a while, I see one that's really cute and I really like it. I would just be super judicious with color. Uh, black font, white background, maybe an accent that's blue or gray, but usually not. Safest to just stick to traditional black font, white background, save the colorful flourishes for some other document. So we all know that Christy hates anything from high school, <laughs> as do I, but I think she hates it even more. So just to be clear, by the time you apply to law school, there should be nothing related to high school on your resume at all. And this may mean you have to let go of listing your valedictory address, your student body president of high school. It's, that's okay. The day was coming. Trust me. You never see a law firm partner with high school valedictorian listed in their biography. I think it's kind of embarrassing when people list like their SAT scores on their resume. I'm just like, move on. Yeah, we get it. Like, I'm sure, you know, you were a really smart 17 year old. That's right. Moving on. Like this is now about college and post and just let it all go. I also think you should think really critically about whether an extracurricular activity merits a full listing with a description on a resume or whether just listing it is better. So I know what Model UN is and what that kind of activity involves. This is just an example. You probably don't want the fact that you participated in Model UN, even if you had a major leadership role, to take up the same amount of space as your current job. It's fine just to list Model UN and then your leadership role, and we will be able to uh, learn from that what we need to learn from that without taking up the limited space on your resume with, with more detailed descriptions. Miriam, I know you have a strong opinion on this one. How should an applicant include involvement in Greek life or similar social clubs, if at all? I think you should generally just leave it off. If you had a very senior leadership role, I think that's a closer call and it depends a little bit on how you, you know, how important it was to you and what other activities you had. I think it's a personal decision at the end of the day. I think you can just list president and the name of the organization or whatever the leadership position is and move on. That's some, that's another area similar to your model UN example, where I feel like I have a strong sense of what the activity and the leadership role involved. So Miriam, I'm going to keep going with you, our former career advisor, a skills section. Mm -hmm. Should an applicant include one and when? So you definitely shouldn't include it if what you're going to say your skills are is that you can use Microsoft Word or some other basic program. As you would say, Christy, that is table stakes. I feel the same way when I see very vague skills listed like research or writing or public speaking. On the flip side, language abilities are commonly listed in a skills section and definitely include your language skills on your resume. It's a huge asset. I recommend only including language skills if you are very well proficient or fluent. However, someone will test you someday. Someone will want to conduct an interview in French. Trust me. Um, computer coding abilities are another pretty solid choice for a skills section. Just one frill on the language thing. I think it's okay to include even if you're not proficient or fluent, as long as you say that on your resume. Yes. It's okay to say yes. Spanish, basic reading, you know, proficient writing, whatever it is, but you need to be very clear because as Christy said, you could walk into an interview that starts in Spanish and you want to be able to say, oh, as I said on my resume, I only have basic speaking ability and be able to point to that if that goes horribly awry. 
Great point. What are your thoughts on those graphics that are meant to showcase facility with certain skills? Uh, those have been very trendy the past yeah, two years. They've gotten, they have gotten kind of trendy. There, and for those who don't know what I'm talking about, it's sort of like a skillometer with like four circles out of five bubbled in for Spanish language abilities. Personally, I don't get very much out of those graphics on a resume. How about you? Yeah, I, I think in some fields, that's probably a good way to go. I think for law, again, small C conservative, a little bit old school, just stick with saying proficient or whatever word most appropriately describes your skills. I, I wouldn't do it with a, with a graphic in that way. What's your take on personal or interest sections in resumes? I love them. They inject a little bit of levity. They humanize the person. I feel more connected to the applicant. Just don't make your personal or interest sections too long or too cute. So just in case um, anyone doesn't know what Christy is referring to, these are a section that's usually labeled something like personal or interest. And usually they're the last section of the resume. They're usually very short, two or three lines, and the applicant will cent- will separate some entries with commas or periods. Um, it's, it's not a list with one item in each line. So I'm sort of the opposite of you. I generally find them kind of cheesy and generally so bland or generic that they're not worth including. But I think we've just showed that people really have very different views on those. So this was something we used to debate at my old career services office and people did, as we do, have very different views. So again, I think this is a personal call that you as the applicant should make. Uh, If you think you can write one that isn't uh, banal, so something like, I like to travel in sports, like don't bother. It's not worth it. But if you think you can include things that are cute tidbits that really humanize you, maybe it's worth including. I did have a TA, um, shout out to my formal TA, Daniel. I hope maybe he's listening and he'll know I'm talking about him. He had the best one ever. He's now a civil rights lawyer. And he had, he was the exception that to me proved the role that these can sometimes really be fantastic. So uh, I find this squishy. When should someone use the heading personal versus a heading interests? I don't have strong feelings about that. What I would often advise to avoid having the too many sections problem that we talked about earlier is just to have an omnibus additional information section. You can include a lot in there. You can include language skills. You can include hobbies and interests. You can include tech skills. It's a nice way to kind of lump together the miscellaneous information you want to get in without taking up too much space. Because remember, the section headers themselves take up a lot mm. of space. So you kind of want to avoid that um, and find a way to include all of those nice little extras. I like that advice. Additional information. A quick final note. I've seen applicants include something like worked 20 hours a week throughout college to finance education in an additional information section, which was a really nice way to share that fact with the reader without taking up big chunks of the resume with part-time jobs. And again, on the application form, we will see what those part-time jobs are. Exactly. And that's the nice thing about additional information is it's a pretty flexible section where you can include something like that. All right. So let's, let's, do this. What's an interest or two that you really enjoyed reading in the past year? Besides, of course, your rooftop tomato farmer, which oh, was, yes. I'm sure it was a favorite. <laughs> so I'm so glad you asked. My very favorite from the past year was self-proclaimed Sherlockian. And I'm not even sure what that means, but I loved it. Um, Runner-up goes to historical conspiracy theories. That lent itself to some really fun interview questions with the applicants. And um, there's one incoming 1L this year who had enjoys helping friends with their tax returns. Um, oh, that's and, sweet. And for some reason, it really touched my heart. I got a sense of who they were. I need a friend <laughs> like that. I, me too. Do you have any good ones? So I actually went back in preparation for this question to, to try to look through my incoming class to find some fun ones. So I found Daily Meditator, which I liked. I'm 
picturing someone very zen, which we always need more of. Um, baking sourdough bread and fruit pies. If that one L is listening, I would love a fruit pie. I love fruit pies and sourdough bread. <laughs> um, and then this one, which was an awesome one, all from the same person. Certified U.S. Army hand-to-hand combat trainer. Sous chef in the Smith kitchen and golfing. And it just, as I said, sometimes this can be really fun and really give you a sense of who the person is. So I'm picturing this, you know, warrior who's, you know, helping his partner in the kitchen and then likes a good game of golf on the weekend. So you got a real (laughs) sense of the person. We're going to shift gears a little bit away from the resume to who you are as a person. That includes things like your background and personal qualities, which are obviously incredibly important to admissions committees as they consider what you're going to bring to the community. Miriam, both our schools and I think many schools tell applicants that we are looking to assemble a diverse array of perspectives and pathways to law school as we craft a class. That begs a question, I think. What do law school admissions committees mean when they say diversity? So I think this is going to sound like a cliche, but I think it's also true. Diversity takes a lot of different forms, gender identity, sexual orientation, racial Uh, an ethnic background, cultural background, socioeconomic status, ideological viewpoint, and a lot more. Assembling a diverse class means much more than something that you can sort of check off in a checkbox. And on that note, the goal for admissions committees and by extension for schools goes beyond just reporting percentages to the ABA. The goal is to provide the best learning environment imaginable for students of all backgrounds with a wide range of perspectives on the concepts studied in law school. Miriam, applicants sometimes ask about diversity beyond the checkbox. How does an applicant showcase their background and the perspective they would bring to legal study? So often applicants assume that the personal statement and then the diversity statement, which is another essay that many applicants choose to include, do the work here. But it goes beyond that. Each and every component of your application can help us understand your background and perspective. You just gave an example of a small note in the personal section of a resume that can tell us a lot about an applicant and their background. The line, I work 20 hours a week throughout college to finance my education, gives us as a reader a really big sense that this is someone who comes from a less privileged background and how hard they had to work to make it through college. And that just hints at who they are and the responsibilities that they had to balance. And even a little note like that has a lot of weight as we review an application. It goes for your recommendation letters too. Your recommenders may share their own impression of your personal qualities. And sometimes we'll share information about your background and your path. And if you have a close relationship with a recommender, you can maybe even ask them to share something about that if you're comfortable doing so. So let's spend a few minutes on the diversity statement, although I will note that Harvard, like many other schools, calls this an optional statement. So for our listeners, this is an essay you can submit in addition to your personal statement. Each school has a slightly different prompt, so read carefully, but typically you are invited to share how your background will contribute to the community of the school. So Miriam, Harvard Law School strongly suggests that you limit your optional statement to one page double spaced, although we will accept and of course read optional statements that exceed one page. How about Yale? We don't have any specific guidelines on length, and I do think many of our statements are closer to one to two pages. That's what I would recommend is one to two pages double spaced. And for our application, applicants can choose to upload a diversity statement as an addendum. I don't actually view it as an addendum. That's just the slot where it goes. It is a really critical and central part to the application for those uh, individuals who choose to submit it. So generally speaking, when should someone submit a diversity statement? And I'll adopt that terminology for this discussion since I know it's more widely used. 
I'll just paraphrase what we say in our application instructions. The best way to decide, I think, whether to include a diversity statement is to consider those aspects of your identity that are really core to who you are and make sure that you're representing them fully in your application. If that means writing a diversity statement to ensure that the readers of your application have a full sense of who you are, you should absolutely do that. And I'll ask you the flip side. When might an applicant not want to submit a diversity statement? If you have already covered a topic in your personal statement or elsewhere in your application, don't write about that same topic in a diversity statement. And don't worry too much if submitting a diversity statement doesn't feel like the right choice for you. Many applicants do not submit a diversity or statement. And, and that's why we use the optional statement terminology at HLS to reinforce that these second essays are indeed totally optional. I agree on both of those points. It included if it's additive rather than duplicative, and don't feel pressure to include it if it doesn't feel right for no, for you. But know that they are a very welcome and very important part of the application for many people. A final message, and this one is from both of us. Please don't count yourself out if you see yourself as an underrepresented person in the legal profession. The only way to guarantee you won't get into a top school is if you don't apply. Put yourself in the game. Every year I hear from so many of our admitted students that they are surprised that we were admitted. And you know what? I'm not surprised because I read their application and I know how incredible they are. And I'm surprised only by their surprise. And I feel so lucky that they chose to apply. We need you in our schools. We need you in our profession. And we will be looking out for your application this upcoming cycle. All right, let's jump into a couple of questions from some prospective applicants. Here we go. So our first question is from Katie. I'll read her question to you. I fall into the discussed category of people who work an on-campus job and therefore had a more limited involvement in clubs or other extracurricular activities. Would I list this job on my resume? I had taken it off when applying to paralegal jobs for post-grad, but now it seems like it might be useful for the admissions committee to know. First, the big picture. This is definitely important information, and Katie, we definitely want to know about it. Second is the nitty-gritty. How do you get this across most easily on your application? I think that there are a couple of ways to do this. For YLS, you could include this in our separate activities section, either by listing the specific jobs, or we have a separate other section where you can more briefly simply state what you did uh, in your question. Or as Christy mentioned earlier, you could include this at the very bottom of your resume in a single line in an additional information section, or you could really list out your extracurricular jobs um, as full jobs in an experience section. Just make sure that it doesn't get lost. We need and want to know that you were working in college. Thanks, Katie, for that question. Our second question is from Andrew. Could a relatively bare resume put an applicant at a significant disadvantage or could a strong personal statement by, for example, mentioning a major physical injury ameliorate that? I'll start with the uh, being concerned that your resume feels bare. It is what it is. Don't worry too much about it. Showcase your path, the activities you've participated in, your education, um, but don't feel like you need to fill the space just for the sake of filling the space. As we mentioned earlier, we actually like having some white space in resumes. Mm -hmm. It helps the reader understand um, how all of your experiences relate to one another. Maybe uh, include one of those short additional information sections at the end, but 
just it is what it is. And I wouldn't worry too much about it. Miriam, do you want to touch on the personal statement aspect of this question? Sure. And first of all, I'm sorry to hear about your injury and I hope you fully recovered from it. Uh, my instinct on the uh, injury piece and where it might belong in an application is that that might be better suited for a brief addendum where you just say, you know, you may have noticed that I was either unemployed or I was underemployed or unable to participate in extracurricular activities, whatever it might be during this time period. This is the reason I had a major physical injury, then I recovered and this is, you know, now I'm better able to 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 do full-time work or whatever it is. I think that's maybe a better spot and maybe focus the personal statement on something else. It's not impossible that you might want to write a personal statement about a major injury, but my instinct is maybe not the best place for it. Don't use it as your personal statement topic because you want to explain a gap in your resume. You nailed it. Thank you for saying it better than I did. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Navigating Law School Admissions with Miriam and Christy. Do you have a question you'd like us to answer? Send them along to jdadmiss at law.harvard.edu. J-D-A-D-M-I-S-S at law.harvard.edu with podcast in the subject line. You can write your question in the email or for extra fun, attach your question as a voice recording for us to play on our show. This podcast is produced by Ryan McAvoy from the Yale Broadcast Studio.